What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 76 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries with me, Josh Cannon, and my co-host, Michael Brown. How are you doing, Mike? How was your Christmas, Mike? It was fine. It was it was all right. It was decent. Um, just spent some time with my family, spent some time with my... Went over and uh, later in the day went and, and uh, had a dinner with my grandmother and uh, opened some presents and stuff. It wasn't a lot. Did you get the My, uh, uh, did you get the deluxe the deluxe flashlight that you were asking for? <laughs> no, no, I, di- I didn't ask for that anyway. I'm sorry, you maybe didn't get you it. did. I'm sorry, I didn't get that for you off your wish list, dude. I, did, I just didn't have the money. I didn't get shit for Christmas. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not trying to sound like unappreciative, and and you know it's whatever. Like I didn't want my parents spending money on me anyway because they honestly don't have the money to spend right now. But like I literally all I all I got for Christmas was a NES multi-cart. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, you know the old school Nintendo system. Basically, it's like a game cartridge and basically like a uh, like a homebrew per, like a hacker, not like a hacker, but they basically put a bunch. So it's like Action Fifty Two, but with like legit games, legitimately good games. Right? Yeah, and that and then multi-carts are like fifty bucks, you know, online or whatever. And I I got like uh-huh. four, count them, four pieces of ch- chocolate for Christmas, like candy, and I got a but like a black button-down shirt, which I actually really like. But yeah, yeah, I you know I was like more into like giving the presents to other people this year. That's I what- got. Well, I got some stuff for myself. Uh, um, the Unsolved Mysteries hat, unofficial you, Unsolved you, Mysteries hat you love from that uh, Cat hat. Beast. It's it's great. It's an awesome hat. Um, I also got uh, Monsters: The Complete Series on DVD, which was a gift from my parents. I got a gift card to a bookstore that's really cool. That's uh, on the beach in I think it's like uh, Lincoln City, uh, Oregon. And it's like the craziest gift card because it's just a piece of plastic with like uh, $25 on it and like the name of the bookstore. And it's like a hard piece of plastic too. Like not flimsy plastic. It looks like it, it looks like some legitimately impressive craftsmanship was put into it. It's, it's the fanciest gift card I've ever seen. I mean, it's solid plastic. Did you get gifts for anybody, Mike? Uh, other than uh, my... Uh, signature on some cards and uh just uh the gift of being there oh my god you <laughs> fucking cheap bastard because well, i don't have a lot of money there. i don't have a lot of money what that's, can i do i can't that's true i forgot yes yeah, true you don't have a lot of money i i got i got my i got my mom a, a new pencil sharpener that's pretty much what what I you know that's that's my gift. Pretty sure that that's the same gift. thing like poor kids got in Christmas got for Christmas in like 1932. No, this is this is an electric pencil sharpener, a really nice one that has a USB power cord and different settings and everything. And mom really likes it. So. Oh, okay. Because she colors, she does a lot of stuff with colored pencils. Uh, she does these. She actually colors in those adult coloring books. Yes, yes. It helps her relax. The adult coloring books that we brought up, I think, the last podcast (laughs) or the one before that I I took umbrage with, but now I I understand more. Um, Well, that's cool. So Christmas is finally over. Thank God. I mean, honestly, like, I, I feel like it's like, I feel like Christmas is very sexual in nature in the sense that, like, 
Sex, huh? like sex, you know, has foreplay, and then you get to like the orgasm, which is like three seconds long, and then you feel, <laughs> then you feel kind of like okay. empty. Well, think about All it. Right. Think about it. It starts in like October with Halloween, and, and the, that's when the foreplay starts, and then then Thanksgiving, that's when the foreplay gets taken up a notch, and like, oh shit. It's coming, and then the Christmas songs and the commercials, and it's all, you know, just, uh, it's getting you ready, and then Christmas Day happens, and you're opening the presents, and that's the big orgasm, the big Christmas orgasm, and your your endorphins are going as you're opening <laughs> gifts, and then it literally lasts, like, ten seconds, it feels like, opening presents, and the and presents, presents, and the whole Christmas experience that people anticipate the whole year is, like, Five or ten minutes of opening gifts because you know uh. the gift is never as good as the anticipation uh, for the gift. No matter if you get exactly what you want, the anticipation is what really you know. So that's that's what I mean by it's like sex. So I always say the big Christmas orgasm is over, and now everyone's gonna be all <laughs> sad and depressed. Well, I guess you, you you might have gotten blue balls this Christmas, so you're still waiting i'm not gonna lie still waiting to release i kind of wanted a nintendo switch but (laughs) you know i can just buy a fucking nintendo switch if i want one that bad so i'm you know and i i don't need any more games right now i got my dad also he sent me a gift card and i got a couple books from amazon with that and he also sent me some more packages some some more stuff that i had in storage uh over at his place in michigan so that was one of the best gifts, and that happened like after Christmas, but it was like a really awesome surprise. I was not expecting that at all. And I wake up, and there's like four packages from him waiting for me on, on my doorstep. So that was really cool. That is cool. Well, anyway, enough, uh, I guess, chit-chatting. I don't even know what... Enough bragging. <laughs> yeah, right. Enough, and you know, bragging about Christmas. All right, so this is this is Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. This is a podcast where we talk about the show Unsolved Mysteries, but not exclusively Unsolved Mysteries. But this episode is going to be exclusively about Unsolved Mysteries, uh, save for the article at the very end. Um, if you want to become a fan of us on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We also have a Facebook group of the same name, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, uh, which is a lot more active and fun than our fan page so i would recommend joining that instead look at me shitting on our own brand and we uh, have a newly created fairly newly created twitter account and that is at uncover <laughs> shit just I got a frog in my throat at uncovering um at uncovering um so i don't know i'm i still don't quite understand the point of twitter but i have it i have posted exclusive stuff only on our twitter page so it's not like you know, some some like things they have like a million social media accounts and they just all post the same exact shit on everything. And it's like, well, what's the point? Um, like I posted our cease and desist letter on there and I'm not going to post that anywhere else. So if you want to see that, I recently posted a picture of the scene uh, in the court case of a- uh, O.J. Simpson where he tries on the gloves and they don't fit because I just finished O.J. Made in America, the five part yeah. documentary. Uh, I I haven't seen that yet. I've heard really good things about it, though. It is really good. The first thing that people tell me when I mention when I say that I watched that documentary is like, Josh, you don't like sports. Why did you watch that? It's like, dude, this documentary goes so much more in depth than just his sports career. That's like that's like 20 percent of the documentary. So like the other 80 percent is just the documentary goodness that I like. Mm. And another thing that's weird is like. 
I don't have to agree with the person or like the person who's do like the documentary that I'm watching is about. Like that's what was so another thing because some people are like, oh, don't waste your time with that because he's you know he's guilty and this that and the other. It's like I don't care if he's guilty or innocent. I want to know the story. Like that's. That's, yeah, I mean that. That's why we watch Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, there's a lot of people. Like most people are guilty on yeah. this on this show. Yeah, like it's not. Uh, it was just like the same thing when I watched like because I watched Bowling for Columbine again for like the fifteenth time the other night, and people are like, "Oh, Michael Moore, you know, he's this liberal, you know, douchebag, blah blah." It's like I don't care about the man's politics. Yeah, his his documentaries are are tilted so left mm -hmm. that I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's it's comical at times but I, I like his style i like the way he does documentaries he made the he does them in an entertaining way and i you know if you siphon out the uh his personal opinions and the editorializing you can learn something you know so i mean i don't yeah. know that's weird when people get all um uh, like i like why can't you just watch something without having like an agenda you know yeah. behind it i don't know well I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the made in america special i saw a film called Christine, not John Carpenter's Christine about the killer car. Another film called Christine, which is a which is about the true tragic story of Christine Chubbuck, uh, a Florida news broadcaster who shot herself in the head live Damn. on camera. Damn, what? Yep, in the seventies. Yeah, in nineteen seventy-four, she uh, ended up uh, committing suicide. And it sounds like an urban legend, but it actually happened. Oh, my God. And uh, it's a very intense film full of a lot of intense themes and drama and all of that. But I thought it was really good. Uh, Rebecca Hall's performance is phenomenal. Uh, she became that character. And uh, they did definitely did not pull any punches when it got to the, the finale, when it got to the ending. So how can people um, watch this? Is it on? If you're curious about that, con that idea, uh, or curious about the story behind that, um, definitely check out Christine. Is it on like Netflix or anything? Or uh, I think it might be on Netflix, and I, I know it's on DVD and Blu-ray already. It came out last year, and I also saw another based on a true story uh, film recently called I Tonya about Tanya Harding, and with Margot Robbie, that was also really good. And I'm not even a fan of figure skating, but they the the scenes in that they made figure skating epic. Yeah, I and mean, Margot Robbie is fantastic in that film. If you do easily if, the best performance of her career. If you do anything date. the right way, like if you do, you can take any subject matter, and if you do it the right way, and you like, I I feel like you can make it good. Like my whole thing as an individual is. Bring me into your world. I don't know anything yeah. about figure skating. Take me into your world. I'm willing to go on that ride. I'm not going to be one of these, like, closed-minded people that's like, oh, figure skating, I hate that. I'm not going to watch that. Same thing with OJ. It's like, I don't give a flying fuck about football, but I, you know, watch. Like, I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan. I guess. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> is that the team he played on, I guess? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no. See, I didn't even, I didn't even, like, absorb that, you know? So, like, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> you know, Tell me your story, you know, like I want to know. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm. And speaking of stories, we have one doozy for you. And we got another doozy after that. These are two, these are some hard hitting uh, unsolved mystery yeah. stories. So, I hope you're strapped in 
ladies and germs. <laughs> um, I don't know how that ever became a funny thing to say, but I just yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the germs thing either. Uh, anyway. it's, it's a saying that I, I've I've never gotten either. Like you're not alone with that. Like it's like, is it just ladies and gents? Is it like a parody of that? I don't. There's probably something about it. Well, may, maybe the germs because like boys have cooties. Uh, well, wasn't it girls that had cooties? Oh, yeah, that's right. Girls do have cooties. That's why <laughs> I'm still a virgin. <laughs> yeah, that was that hasn't been true for over a decade. So, <laughs> uh, All right, so our first story is uh, William Fisher. Um, although it, it, I would say the story is really about Nancy Heyer and uh, Billy Fisher, um, the, yeah. the two kids, man, like. Ah, uh, this story. Like I watched it recently on um when I was watching. I'm on the last mm -hmm. season of Unsolved Mysteries on Amazon Prime, and um, I'm just glad that I have other sources of Unsolved Mysteries to get my fix because it's it's gonna be sad when I finish it. But anyway, I felt compelled to talk about this because this is different than the normal Unsolved Mysteries fair. This is uh this got some twists in there. So anyway. Uh huh. In 1986, 21-year-old Nancy Heyer and 19-year-old Billy Fisher met by chance in Southampton, New York. Their friendship began when Nancy became hopelessly lost on a train and was on the verge of tears. Aww. Billy stepped forward and offered to help, escorting Nancy home to Hicksville, Long Island. What an unfortunate name Yeah. for a town. Really? I mean, that was what people have said, like, all my life, joking about, like, where I used to live with my parents in Jacksonville. Oh, you live in Hicksville. And there's actually a, a Hicksville, Long Island. I'm sure a hick started out as a thing. Oh, so you lived in Hicksville as well? So I guess you can feel the pain. Figuratively. <laughs> figuratively speaking, I was living in Hicksville. Um, Not literally Hicksville, though. Like, this, this, this is literally Hicksville. Yes, this is literally Hicksville. Where did that come? Why? Like, who would name their town that? Like, that's just... That sounds like a awful amusement park or something. <laughs> Over the course of doing this podcast, I think me and Mike have discovered that, like, there are some really awful town names uh, that exist in the U.S. This is definitely one of the worst, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, the first thing that struck me about this, about this story, is, is that this 19-year-old Billy Fisher, who she met in Southampton helped her find her way home uh -huh. and didn't rape or kill her, which is where nope. I, th I thought they were going to go with the story. I, when yeah. I yeah. I mean, exactly. Like that's, that's totally what you're expecting with unsolved mysteries. You're like, ah, here it comes. Yeah. Here it comes, you know, the raping and the killing, but n he helped her. He did a, he did a benevolent act. So it was nice. So, uh, Nancy's sister remembers her friendship with Billy quote, Nancy thought Billy was a really nice guy. She did say to me, he started to look at me like a girlfriend, and I don't like him that way. Ooh, damn. Ooh. Shot down. Cold. But she didn't want to hurt his feelings because he was so nice. So, okay, so Billy got friend-zoned like a motherfucker real quick. But that's cool, you know. Billy still, you know, be friends. That's fine. Maybe one day, Billy. Well, no, as you will come to find out, that won't happen. On a stormy night three weeks after they met, Nancy received a call from Billy. Nancy told her sister Deborah that Billy needed a ride home from his father's house in Southampton, about 65 miles away. Uh, the sister said, I can't, I said, I can't believe you're going to drive in this weather. You don't even like to drive at night. And she told me, well, 
he's done so much for me that I'm going to go. Which, I mean, you know, favor, he did you a favor, now you're returning the favor. Fair enough, good friend, thing to do. Nancy's mother, Joan Heyer, was also concerned. Quote, as I saw my daughter drive away, I was a little, uh, was a little fearful. Just a mother's worry. That's enough. When well, at least it wasn't stormy outside or whatever. I guess, I guess there is some bad weather, apparently. Like they said, that she said, you're not going to drive in this weather. So how, how bad was the weather, though? Like it's just cold? Thinking like icy ice on the road. Or rain? Okay. I don't know. Maybe it was. I can understand why why uh, the mom was worried then, because I mean, I just was stuck in literal Iceland or uh, the aftermath of Mister Freeze showing up and just making everybody chill uh, on uh, Christmas. Uh, I was going home from my grandmother's, and we just literally were pretty much just stuck in ice for like three hours it was, it was miserable that's a problem traffic. that's a problem i do not know anything about living in florida um so i mean but by default though going back to the story by default a parent's like first thing they always say is like be careful drive safe you know like parents like this mother being concerned about her driving on the road is a pretty like typical yeah, I mean that's that could that could be a trope for mothers, right? I mean to say that she was especially worried or anything, I think would be like kind of an overstatement, you know, because yeah. it's like most pa most parents, whenever you leave, are like, yeah, I was mm -hmm. concerned, and then usually though they nothing bad happens to them, but yep. in this off chance something did. So when Nancy met Billy, he was deeply in debt and seriously ill with cystic fibrosis, which if any of you listened to our last podcast, you now know what that is because of my friend Lauren. Billy hadn't spoken with his father in over a year, but he decided to ask him for help. According to New York State Police uh, Senior Investigator Stephen J. Oates, Billy's father, William Fisher, Fisher, made a good living. And, you know, cystic fibrosis medications are not cheap, as I learned as no. well. So, yeah, he was probably asking his... his um, a strange dad for money. So, the so this was taking place in the 80s? Like, this took... 1986, right? Uh, I think that's what it says up here. It says, like, uh, in 1986, 21-year-old Nancy yeah, Heyer, 19-year-old sure. Billy Fisher. So it's kind of surprising that they did not cover this case earlier. <laughs> like, wait all the way to, like, season 11 to finally cover this case. Oh, no, but I'm glad they did dust off one from the 80s because yeah. some of the 90s ones started getting, uh, I don't know. Just weren't as yeah, I'm glad they did too. But one thing I wanted to point out about this particular segment, and it's it's a good segment. It's just you could tell that this is when the budget was a lot lower because it was a lifetime uh, unsolved mysteries episode, and the budget wasn't nearly as high as it was in the past with the network television uh, airings. And there were some moments... They didn't really do a great job making it look like the 80s. Like, they, they, I didn't even really think it was at all taking place in the 80s. Um, which is one of those things... I've, I miss that Unsolved Mysteries uh, atmosphere. That sort of 80s, 90s atmosphere yeah. that I really felt would have added to this segment a lot. That was missing here. And there, there, then the cinematography in this was was questionable at times. Yeah. I mean, there there were shots where it's a soft focus, uh, and like just kind of blurry, and then like all this like sort of white 
sort of uh, contrast or something. It, it, the lighting was just off in, in a lot of ways. It looked very uh, faded, and I don't know if that's just the the quality of the print or the the video that was used it, but i think it was actually just a conscious decision because a lot of the segments in these later seasons kind of look the same hmm, interesting yeah i agree that the quality does uh kind of deteriorate over time so getting back to the new york state uh investigator stephen oates on uh william fisher's uh, job, he was quoted as saying, he was employed by a well-to-do car dealership in Manhattan and making a very high salary. However, the investigation determined that he began using cocaine extensively to the point that it affected his performance <sighs> at his place of employment. So I guess, I'm guessing from what I'm seeing here, this guy, Billy's dad lives in Southampton. He is a well-to-do uh, car dealer, car salesman. And he's sniffing coke. So this guy was trying to live that like Wall Street, like 1980s cocaine lifestyle, I guess. Um, I'm sure status was a very big deal to him. And he seems a little, little, little on the selfish side. Billy's father invited his son to visit for the weekend to discuss his money problems. The day after Billy arrived, the day after Billy arrived, he called Nancy and asked for a ride home. So, you know, that meeting went well. That night, Nancy's mother waited anxiously for her to return. She's quoted as saying, The clock was going 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, rock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, rock. Sorry. She might, have, uh, she might have had to stay over because of the weather or the time of night, but I was still hesitant because she would never not call me. The next morning when Nancy still had not come home, Joan and Deborah began to panic. But the police couldn't help because technically Nancy had not been gone long enough to officially be declared missing. They searched Nancy's bedroom and found William Fisher's phone number. <laughs> that's so funny, dude. Back in those days, that's the kind of shit you had to do to like track people down. Like there was no uh, texting them or looking on their Facebook to see where they checked in at or anything. It's like you were trying to hack into their phone. Yeah. If you can remember their password or know how to unlock. Well, she would have had her phone with her, even if it was nowadays. Yeah, exactly. So that, that, that wouldn't happen. But like now, like now though, like shit, even with Snapchat, you can like, there's a way to see the exact, like not the address per se, but you can like go on Snapchat and you can see a map of where there, uh, you create like a little avatar and you can see where the little avatar is on the map of the city. So I could see, so for instance, yeah. So for instance, if, if I was married and I told my wife, oh yeah, I'm I'm just going to the store before I head home and we were friends on Snapchat, she could look at the map of, of uh, the Snapchat map or whatever and would show a map of Jacksonville. And if it showed me on the completely opposite side of town from where I said I was, then my ass would be in hot water. Because it's, you know, it's tracking you basically and they let, you know, you can see that shit. So, so well, I guess you could turn it off. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how. <laughs> Delete Snapchat. So <laughs> Fisher told Joan because they found William Fisher's number, the father, and, and she called her him. She called him. Fisher told Joan that he had had dinner with Nancy and his son and that afterward the two left in Nancy's car. Nancy's sister, Deborah, initially believed him, quote, He seemed very forthcoming and he was concerned about his own son. We were thinking at that point young Billy had taken her somewhere and had done something. 
The next morning, when there was still no word from Nancy, Joan filed a missing persons report. But with no proof of foul play, police were unable to help. Joan had nowhere to turn. So she called the last person who saw her daughter alive, William Fisher. Her suspicions grew when he became confrontational during the call. He flew off the handle and told me, Let the police handle this. I have no idea where these kids went. And he became very, very hostile over the phone. Ten days after Nancy disappeared, police responded to a report of an abandoned car in a parking lot less than two miles from the Fisher's home. Investigator Stephen Oates was the first one on the scene. Located in the trunk of the car was young Billy Fisher. A second body was located underneath him, and that was young Nancy. The autopsy reported that Billy had been shot 18 times. Damn! In the head. They didn't say that in this quote here, but it was in the head. Well, yeah, these go on to say it. The vast majority of those rounds were in the head at close range. Damn, that is serious overkill. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 18. I mean, Jesus Christ. That's like in the head. I mean, that is... That is anger. He had to have like multiple different guns yeah, to like think. reload his gun. Nancy's autopsy multiple times. Nancy's autopsy revealed that she had been stabbed twice with a very long sharp instrument. I like it was just called very long sharp instrument. It's like come on, it's it's probably a knife or something. Like really? Like what sharp instrument? Would did, did he stab her with a trombone or something? Right. <laughs> 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 Very long, sharp instrument. Yeah, 18 times in the head. I mean, that's overkill. That's a crime. I mean, I don't want to say it's a crime of passion, but that is a very passion-fueled crime. Oh, that's an anger. That's an anger-hate-fueled crime, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just ridiculous. So around the same time, police received reports from neighbors that Fisher had been remodeling his master bedroom in the middle of the night. Police secured a search warrant. Slight indentations were observed on a section of the wall and it was removed. Two 22 caliber bullets were recovered. A single strand of hair was fused to one of the bullets. It was identified as Billy Fisher's. Investigator Oates commented, That established the crime scene. Additional testing established that there was a large amount of blood splatter all about the hallway. This was consistent with Nancy being stabbed in that area immediately outside the master bedroom. The evidence pointed directly to William Fisher. What would have uh, driven him to shoot his son 18 times and then murder a complete stranger? Before a murder warrant could be issued, Fisher collected more than $100,000 by mortgaging his house and then disappeared. His car was found at JFK Airport. Fisher has been on New York's most wanted list for more than 30 years. And this scumbag is still on the run. Still. He's still loose. Still on the fucking run. I mean. This snake is still slithering around. I can't believe that you would do that to your fucking kid. I mean, who already has had a rough enough life with cystic fibrosis. And then, like, what the mother says on the segment, she's like, why would you kill a complete stranger who you know yeah. nothing about? I mean, yeah, obviously you have a witness to the crime, so yeah, you gotta take her out. But why? I mean, Jesus, like that—that that could only be like a crime of passion, like something you did in the heat of the mm -hmm. moment, like when you were coked up. That's probably what it was, because cocaine can really make some people very violent and crazy in their cocaine-fueled rage. He was probably riding some white magic wave. Yeah, he was—he was on some—he uh, was on some girl, as they call it on the streets. 
He was on some of that girl, and he got hopped up out of his mind on coke. He was probably already coked up. Oh, my son's my son's coming. I haven't seen him in forever. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I need to do something to... Well, he's also probably pretty upset at his son because of his financial situation. And that seemed to have been a trigger for him, as you saw in the reenactment. Uh, I would say the acting by the guy who played William Fisher was pretty good. Uh, it definitely did suit the role. Uh, it the, the things that the script added, like uh, the son coughing or whatever, added to the whole tragedy of it all. Like he's at the dinner table and he's like hacking up a lung and and his dad's yelling at him and getting in his face. And then they, they get in an argument and then you just hear shots uh, in the background. And then you don't even see what happens to uh, the girl. Like, she's just looking around, scared. Nancy's just turning around after hearing the gunshots. And uh, it's understandable why they didn't show that. I mean, it's it, you can't show somebody be stabbed being stabbed brutally. Uh, except, I guess, you can do that in forensic files nowadays. <laughs> or on, on ID, you know, the investigation discovery channel. Oh, yeah. Like, when I was doing my... When I was covering ghost adventures for my... Uh my ghost show episode on my YouTube channel, I I was look, watching one of the episodes where they depicted a prison inmate shanking another prisoner in the neck, and they show him just jabbing the shiv right in his fucking neck. I mean, they, I'm like, dude, this is on, like, network television. I can't believe how violent. I don't know. Maybe they could get away with that because it's on Investigation Discovery. Like, that's a cable channel. Well, no, like, this was on, um, Ghost Adventures was on, um, I think Sci-Fi or something. Or Travel? Travel, May, yeah, I think yeah, travel channel like that, or uh, yeah, might be travel channel. That that's a possibility or discovery. Anyway, this this uh William Fisher guy, he'd be seventy three years old now, and he looked like a, a out of shape fat fuck in this mugshot yeah. they have of him. So he's they show a mugshot of him, and then they show what he might look like with a bald spot. And I gotta be honest, it's kind of funny. Yeah, whenever they do the composite, like, you know, what this person might look like with all these different facial hair combinations, they they always look like the most, like, mutated alien life forms. <laughs> I remember this one where it was, like, the uh, Colorado cop killers, where it was that militia, yeah. and they were shooting down cops, yeah. and uh, they fled to the desert. And they did like uh, like all these facial hair configurations for this one guy. We should in cover that one sometime. Yeah. that's a pretty good one. It's just so brutal. That, that one's very hard for me to watch because the one cop that gets like shot in it. Fifty cal. Yeah, it was it was nuts. But they showed what this guy looked like when he might have looked like bald with like no facial hair, and he looked like some weird Dana Carvey fetus. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> it looks so bad. I was like, oh my god, this guy. Even if this guy in real life had no hair on his head or no facial hair, he would not look anything like this weird egg face Dana Carvey <laughs> chemo survivor. Well, some of them are also terrifying. Like some of the the drawings they made, like the the sketches. Yeah, I'm pretty scary. Speaking of scary, uh, this uh, next case, uh, my pick, I. I do feel is pretty scary, pretty terrifying because it deals with a doctor or a would-be doctor who pretty much is responsible for the death of multiple people. 
because of his sadistic need or desire to uh, fuck with people's lives, which is a complete opposite of what a doctor is supposed to be doing. Now, this is a case that always stood out to me. Uh, I remember watching this on Lifetime years ago, but it, it was one of those cases that was rattling around in the back of my head for years, but it didn't really come back until I started doing research for other segments. And I just randomly, I, I just decided to look for something to deal with a doctor because I remember a segment about this doctor who poisoned people. And then I came across this case, the case of Michael Swango. Uh, this is on season eight, episode two on Amazon Prime. It was originally, I believe, supposed to be on season seven, but uh, they just moved it to season eight. Uh, and and uh, I'm glad it's on Amazon Prime. I'm glad it's actually there so so I could watch it again. And so other people can watch it because it's. I definitely think it's one of the uh, one of the better segments of the show. Uh, this is a memorable segment in a lot of ways. Uh, Swango is a total scumbag, and uh, he definitely has no swag. Yeah, Michael Swango can suck my Wango in a Dodge Durango. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. So, uh, Michael Swango is also known as the Doctor of Death. That's one of his aliases. Bitch. Michael Kirk, which I find hilarious. Like, Michael Kirk. Like, the, 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 to your last name is just another first name. David Adams, Jack Kirk, and uh, Michael Swan. It might as well be uh, Michael Prick or David Prick. This guy's totally a prick, and uh, he also likes to prick people with needles. So in July of 1983, Michael Swango, a recent medical school graduate of Southern Illinois University, went to Ohio State University Hospital, but his performance during the first six months there put him on probation, meaning that he might never receive a medical doctor's certificate. Uh, before I go any further, I want to say this reenactment I thought was really well done, uh, the the actor they had playing Michael Swango was perfect for the role. Like he really did a bang up job playing this smarmy, smirky sociopath. That's really what he is. Yeah, you felt like the, the he kind of embodied you know this this character, this guy. You know. So on, uh, he was upset that he would more than likely probably not get residency because he wasn't doing well enough. So on February 7th, 1984, shortly after he was put on probation, a 69-year-old patient named Rena Cooper suffered a mysterious seizure just after, just after Swango checked on her recovery after surgery. And uh, the way they showed this in the reenactment was also really well done. It was actually pretty scary and pretty harrowing. Like who had the the actress who's playing the Rena Cooper did a good job, like believably going through a seizure. And as she was stabilized, she wrote that he had put something into her IV. A used hypodermic needle was found in a nearby room that he was seen leaving. Three different doctors confronted him, and each were told a different story of what happened 
by Swango. At one point, Swango even claimed that he, he was never even in her room. And he was doing the whole like, oh, she's old and she has, these, you know, she's she's got delusions or whatever. And, you know, I was never there. Yeah, this, however, at the beginning of this segment, you know, like when they find the syringe in, in the other mm -hmm. room and the plungers push down on it and they're like, yeah, that's not normally something you would ever see in a hospital. Yeah. I, I'm starting to form this like anger in my head because I'm like, why isn't this guy being pushed harder for questioning? Why isn't this guy? Yeah. Why are they letting this guy skate through, you know, like, uh, but that that was pretty upsetting because you would think. That he's the only one that's connected to any of this. And he's giving three different stories to to other doctors. You have a syringe that has a plunger down. Uh, you know, maybe it's time to send this guy on his way. But this guy like, skating right through there. shit is like just the beginning with this, with oh, this yeah. particular part. So although Rena, Rena survived, five other patients died mysterious deaths at the hospital during the spring. It was believed that Swenga was responsible, but instead of calling the police, all they did was monitor him closely for the last few months of his internship. Which I'm like, really? Like, Is it one of those things where they don't want to hurt their reputation? Is that it? They don't want people to know that there was some uh, med school student who was a sociopathic murderer who liked to poison people. Who attended their college or something this guy's, I, I, I this guy's getting as much leeway as like a fucking politician at this point yeah was this a pr move like i don't understand like you should have been calling the cops immediately five people have died like died not almost died died <laughs> it was believed that swinger was responsible but they didn't call the police to just monitor him they just babysitted him Although the hospital decided to let him go, his co-workers noticed that he did not seem to be troubled about it or the allegations of murder. In fact, he brought several of them extra spicy chicken, as they called it. Oh, I give and you I, the extra spicy chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love that. I just love that he called it that. Just extra spicy chicken. And and the, the actors in the reenactment, they, they sold it pretty well too. Like, whoa, yeah, this this is definitely spicy. <laughs> I like how the one guy, like as soon as Swango walks in with the chicken, the one guy sitting down just instantly grabs it from him, almost before he <laughs> finished set, like before he even finished saying the sentence. I got chicken. Like the guy in the chair is like, oh yeah, and he like grabs it instantly. He's like. Chicken! Yeah, like, I, I don't know if anybody actually reacts that quickly in real life to, um, you know, before... So he, he, he's like uh, the, the dog in the bacon strip, you know, the bacon strips commercial. You know, bacon, 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 bacon! Well, I, I almost feel like the actor... Chicken, chicken, chicken! It's like the actor did his line, like, like, three milliseconds too soon, and it just seemed a little too, like, chicken, everybody, <laughs> yeah! And he, like, grabs it from him. <laughs> <laughs> I like chicken too, man, but I don't know. I, I, I probably would have not even attempted to eat anything that was given to me by this guy. Knowing the reputation that this guy has, I, do, I would not have wanted to take... I definitely would not have wanted to take the risk of eating anything given to me by Swango. I feel weird eating anything that anybody brings in because it's it's like I don't... I don't know. I'm very independent. I don't like especially someone who's like, it's extra spicy chicken. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't. Your first expectation is that people aren't gonna poison you. You know, like this food. Yeah. This food probably isn't poisoned, but I don't know. Like for me, it's just like. I don't know. I, I feel like I owe them but something. But I mean, there was already talk that this guy was smiling, like after uh, he was seen leaving uh, the room of Re- of Rena Cooper, and he was just smiling, like this this sort of just sadistic sort of smile on his face. So this guy is definitely something else. So what happened after they ate the spi- so extra after spicy eating chicken? this extra spicy chicken? Several of the doctors became violently ill with their symptoms being similar to arsenic poisoning. Like they were bleeding from their eyes. <laughs> it was it was it was bad. So Swango left the hospital in June of 1984 without being investigated and no charges were ever filed. Why? I have no idea. Seemed like there was enough evidence. <laughs> one, ma- one month later in Illinois, Swango began working as a paramedic. I don't know why anybody's giving this guy a job, but okay. And on September 14th, 1984, he brought donuts for the whole crew. 45 minutes later, they became violently ill. When they wanted to test the donuts, they found that the box was empty, and it made them very suspicious. And they were also suspicious because Swango was obsessed with accidents and death. Like, so obsessed that he was really disturbing about it. Like, uh, one of the paramedics that was working with him... He told a story of what Swango was telling him about what his ideal call would be. And it was like this horrific, grisly scene of a bus, a school bus that lit on fire. And he was all talking about how that would be his ideal uh, call that he would roll up and he would see this school bus smoldering and on fire. And he'd see all these charred corpses of kids in the windows and shit. It was like, it was just like, okay, this guy is nuts. And, and he didn't in the, and the paramedic who was telling the story, he didn't say, yeah, it was just really twisted and sick. You know? No, he goes, no. he goes, Oh, it was just weird. It was just kind of weird that someone would want to see I know, that. I'm like weird. <laughs> yeah. I know. This isn't weird. Like <laughs> an understatement of the century here goes to this douche. No, sir. That is not weird. That is sick uh, and twisted. That goes weird is weird Al. Okay. Yeah. Weird is, is like, uh, you know, I, I like to be spanked with a naked GI Joe. That's a little weird, you know, <laughs> uh, can we strike that last statement from the record? But that's weird. And I don't like that as far as I know, I haven't tried it, but this is like morbid, sick, like, um, red flags Serial killer coming out the ass with red flags. Yeah. I almost don't feel bad for you people anymore with all these red flags and you doing nothing. So anyway, this is like serial killer shit, really. So they finally got him out of the building so they could check his gym bag where they found two bottles of ant poison, one filled and one empty. Which, okay, there you go. There's your proof that this guy is some sadistic, psychopathic, sociopathic asshole who likes to poison people for kicks and and what I, I find kind of funny is that the actor they chose to play Michael Swingo he kind of reminds me of Doogie Hauser a little bit <laughs> yeah he's got that kind of Doogie Hauser look to him he does yeah and the funny thing is is like you you know this guy is is delighting in this because if he really wanted to just kill him he'd use something stronger than ant poison 
Yeah. Because ant poison is designed specifically to kill insects because insects have very different, uh, you know, respiration systems and central nervous systems and shit. Yeah. Usually ant poison in small amounts won't do much to humans because our livers can process that kind of poison and insects cannot. So the fact that he used ant poison and he probably used a lot of it, I'm guessing a whole jar full, for whatever he used it for, his extra spicy chicken, uh, it was just enough to like make people really sick, but not enough to kill them. So he really did yeah. just like taking joy in in really messing up someone's day, which is make makes it almost sicker to a certain extent. Yeah, this guy is just a absolutely atrocious person. You know, he's a pathetic person, and he's also atrocious. Patrocious. That's why did, he's did, patrocious. Did you make that word? Patrocious. Up okay. I, 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 I've uh, a friend of mine has used it before, but yeah. Uh, fair enough. So I think it does fit when it comes to Swango. So then police searched his apartment and they found more bottles of ant poison along with books on poison, recipes for making poisons, and several syringes. Yeah. That's slightly implicating. It's like this guy, he's been able to get away with this for so long, and he just, he literally could have, he, he just had everything there. Like, he didn't even try to hide any of this. He could have had a neon sign that just said poisons. <laughs> I love poison. And I'm not talking about the band. <laughs> so then what happened? So Swango was arrested tried and convicted of six counts of aggravated battery and sentenced to five years in prison. The six counts of aggravated battery, it's like, didn't he kill five people? Like, yeah, we can't really necessarily prove that. I mean, I, I think we can. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think there was anybody else that was known around that hospital of poisoning uh, patients. It's almost like one of those weird white-collar crimes where, like, these big, like, you know, heads of businesses will, fr you know, defraud millions of people out of millions yeah. of dollars and they get like 10 years in jail and they serve one year and it's like it's almost like like this is almost ringing true with this guy he's doing all this yeah. crazy shit to where if you just go into a, a convenience store and pull a gun on the cashier you get 15 years to life yet you can do all this funky tampering with syringes and poisoning people and making extra spicy chicken yet you get five years in jail and, and you only serve two and a half of them yeah i i don't understand maybe this white. i don't get it maybe either. this white privilege thing i keep hearing about is real <laughs> because but with this guy it, it's like he's already shown that he's a danger to the danger to society like a real serious danger i i, I mean there's no reason to believe that he will just all of a sudden stop wanting to poison people after he gets out of prison. There, like, this is a guy who is ready and willing to keep doing this shit because he it, it makes him feel good. It, it It's something that gives him pleasure. And that means that he's not sane, clearly. Like, this is not a sane individual. And, uh, you know, oh, he had some good behavior in prison. Yeah, because he couldn't poison anybody. <laughs> so then he was released. So he was released. He then went to medical vocational school in Newport News, Virginia, 
where three of his colleagues apparently fell ill. Of course. He later found work at the University of South Dakota Hospital, where he was later dismissed because of the controversy surrounding his past, understandably so. Finally, in August of 1993, he resurfaced at Stony Brook University in New York and was assigned to the Veterans Administration Hospital in Long Island, where he was under the alias of Michael Kirk. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, fuck over veterans. That's, you know, they just, just add to your classiness. Swango. So on September 29th, 1993, Swango met Elise and Baron Harris. Baron was a 60-year-old Long Island cabinet maker who had a fever of over 105, of actually just a fever of 104 degrees, and a slight case of pneumonia. Elise claims that sometime during the night, Swango gave Baron a sedative. By the next morning, he had gone into a coma and was moved into intensive care. The eventual publicity of the incident led Swango to flee, but before he vanished, he told Elise and Baron, he told Elise that Baron would never come out of his coma. He was correct. Baron died on November 9th, 1993. And Elise is interviewed and she's talking about how just cold he was telling her this. This this, this last segment particularly bothered me and disturbed me because the guy in the bed kind of reminded me of my dad to a certain extent. And, and uh-huh. I, I just put myself in that position and and like, what if, you know, my dad was taken into the hospital with a high temperature and, and a slight case of pneumonia, and then he fucking dies because this doctor fucking killed him. You know, I mean, that's, that just, I, at that point, I'm killing the doctor. I'm sorry. At that point, <laughs> I am taking the doctor's life uh, for doing that to my yeah. my loved one. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't care if I go to jail. You did that. You did that, you sick motherfucker. I'm going to kill you. I will. I yeah. will kill you. I, I think I think we have a new word for like asshole for this show, Swango. Swango. Yeah, that ter- that that person is, t- is totally a Swango. Sounds like a fucking and, '70s cop movie name or something. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Swango on the beat. <laughs> He's got them aviator sunglasses on and a mustache and shit. <laughs> So, Swango has uh, never been charged in connection with the mysterious deaths of his patients. He is wanted only for making false statements on a job application to a government hospital. Again. Now, this case first aired on the November 3rd, 1995 episode. It was also profiled on America's Most Wanted. And thankfully, Swango was captured. He was captured in June of 1997. He was discovered working in a rural, rural that fucking word. I, I hate, I hate that the word. word too. It's a hard one for me too. Swango was discovered working in a rural hospital in Zimbabwe where he could not be touched. However, he was apprehended at Chicago's O'Hare, O'Hare airport when he returned to the USA to renew his work visa. He was convicted of making false statements and defrauding a government agency and he was sentenced to three and a half oh, years in prison. three and a half years in prison. A fucking slap on the wrist for taking someone's life. Yep. In July 2000, he was charged with the murders of Thomas Samacoro, George Ciano, and Aldo Serini, along with assault against Baron Harris. They had all they had all been patients of lo- the Long Island Veterans Administration Hospital, where Swango had worked th- during the early 1990s. Doing this kind of stuff where you're like reading all of this, like I really get a lot of respect for narrators and Robert Stack even more so, like for just be able to do this, <laughs> you know, without messing up and without like getting lost. It, you know, it, it's it's 
it's mentally exhausting. It's harder than it really it, it's is. harder than it sounds. You know, just reading off stuff. Uh, I I know because I I just had to do a voiceover for one of the videos I'm doing for my YouTube channel, my newest video that's coming out. I had to do a lot of voiceover shit, and yeah, I mean. Not only is it, I mean, we're just doing a podcast where it doesn't have to be perfect, where you just literally have to get through reading the sentence. But like when you're doing voiceover stuff, like what Robert Stack had to do on Unsolved Mysteries, not only do you have to like read the sentence fluently, but you have your diction has to be good. Like you can't slur words at the end of them or anything. You have to make sure you're saying, you know, he was charged with the murders of Thomas Samarco, George, you know, and and really enunciate, you know. So, yeah, it, it's a it's harder than it. Before anyone starts thinking we're complete dumbasses, this is harder than it looks, people. Exactly. Harder than it sounds, I guess. So they had all been patients of Long Island's Veterans Administration Hospital, where Swango had worked during the early 1990s. He was also later charged with the 1984 murder of 19-year-old Cynthia McGee, who had died at the Ohio State University Hospital. Investigators had exhumed their bodies and found poisonous chemicals in them. Swango's diaries were also used as evidence against them. In them, he talks about how he enjoys committing murder. Oh my god, what more does this guy have to fucking do? Slap a fucking baby? (laughs) God! This guy must This guy's bedside manner must have been off the fucking chain. Yeah. I mean, his personality must have been, like, just sterling for people to be so fucking lenient. What is up with this? So in October 2000, Swango pleaded guilty to three counts of murder and was given three life sentences. Finally! He is now imprisoned imprisoned at Supermax ADX Florence and is in 23-hour solitary confinement. However, investigators note the circumstantial evidence links him to at least 35 deaths, and they fear that he may be responsible for over 60 poisoning deaths. Yeah, I, f- I just got goosebumps. I fear that our criminal justice that. system is, is beyond fucked up where... Where someone, you know, gets caught with a little bit of weed and they get sent to jail for a few years. Well, not anymore. Well, maybe. I don't fucking know. But then you got people like this ki- literally killing people in, in in a time, in a place where you trust someone the most to take care of you. That's, dude, that's why I stay away from hospitals, honestly. This is basically a doctor who was a serial killer. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. His method of, of killing people, though, wasn't the knife or strangling somebody. It was poison. Yeah, this is sick. And this isn't the only. T- this is this is not the only doctor who's done stuff like this. Like, there's another. Oh yeah, there's there's other doctors who have uh, raped their patients. Yeah. Drugged and raped them. Just. And I think there was another one that was poisoning people too. Yeah. But like, this is this is like the. This is the Michael Jordan of the fucked up doctors. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this is the LeBron of the fucked up doctors. Um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the other case you're thinking about is the guy in South America who got people to fly there, and he would give them this this yeah. this tr- this breakthrough treatment that the FDA wouldn't allow. Nine times out of ten, when the FDA won't allow something, it's because uh, it's it's not it's poison. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Yes, I will say the FDA, probably there's some profit and some, you know, tampering as far as like big pharma and all that stuff. Absolutely. But, you know, there are standards in the United States that are higher than a lot of countries. And if somebody is making you fly to another country to get a miracle breakthrough treatment, I mean, you got to have stupid written on your forehead in that situation. 
But the people who got psychic surgery. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Magno, Gary Magno. I love that case. But yeah, I don't know anything else to say about Michael Swango, except he is one diabolical doctor. And I really do wish that he was arrested or tried and convicted earlier because that could have potentially saved a lot of lives. A lot of a, a lot of a lot more people died because of the slaps on the wrist that this guy got. Well, I mean, the, until the, he was I, finally busted. I guess the best thing that can come from this good. case is people having more of an awareness for the fact that you know there there is medical malpractice out there that does happen, and that doctors are not these perfect, all-knowing beings. I mean, more often than not, you should always get a second opinion, and yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's what's so terrifying about this particular case is that a, the doctor is somebody you go to and you trust them with your life. You trust them and you are not at all thinking that they're going to take your life. And this scumbag, this piece of shit, this horrible human being he was able to do that and in the process violated a lot of people's trust and took their lives well i hope hopefully um i guess uh it, i guess don't trust your doctors i mean you mean you watch unsolved mysteries like there's there's trust no one really like there's there's not you can't even trust your doctor okay <laughs> I hope Michael Swango meets Ted Nugent and he does the Wango Tango on him with one of his uh, hunting rifles right into Swango's forehead. Uh, right into his ass. Or, or that. Yeah, right up his ass. Up the ass, yeah. that's. I mean, I'm sure he's... Anyway, he's in jail now, so you, you guys can make the uh, visualizations from there. Um, <laughs> all right, so now uh, before we wrap it up, we're going to... Uh, we would be fucking remiss if we didn't mention the uh, the New York Times article that broke December 16th, 2017, about um, the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program. Uh, we did re reference that a little bit. We did talk about that a little bit last podcast, but there's a little bit more detail here. So, in the $6 billion annual Defense Department budgets, the $22 million spent on the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program was almost impossible to find, which was how the Pentagon wanted it. For years, the program investigated reports of unidentified flying objects, according to Department uh, Defense officials. Interviews with program participants and records obtained by the New York Times. Um, it was run by a military intelligence official, Luis Alizondo, on the fifth floor of the Pentagon's C-ring, deep within the building's maze. See, this is, the, this is the exact kind of shit that myself and many other people who are believers of this kind of stuff, this is the kind of shit we always fantasize that was true. Like, man, I know this is probably true, yeah. but you, as soon as you start talking about this kind of stuff... You know, deep in the Pentagon's fifth floor in their maze of, you know, yeah. rooms and this, that, and the other. I, you know, I I would like to read this, but I can't because the New York Times are a bunch of fucking dicks who make it so you have to, if you look at a certain amount of articles, uh, maybe because I need to, maybe I turn off my ad blocker, maybe that's what it is. But really, they're like, you can't look at anything. You have to pay. Oh, wow. Yeah, even if I turn off my 
fucking ad blocker. Excuse me. Sorry, folks. I, I just have to let this out. Otherwise, it'll just leave a hole in my soul and just burn right through me. It's better I, I, I rage now instead of later. All right, well, what the fuck, <laughs> New York Times? I can't even look at any of their articles right now. I can't even read this article. I can't even tag team this with Josh because I have zero articles remaining this month, apparently. Because I guess on the New York fucking Times, you can only look at a certain amount of articles during the month. Once you, go, once you uh, get past that quota, you have to pay. To access the oh, site. Oh, yeah, I see a little thing at the bottom of my screen saying I have two articles remaining. Well, uh, what a uh, bunch of fucking bullshit. You know, with newspapers going becoming obsolete, these people have to make their money somehow. So, I mean... That's just... But, no. Really. I mean, I, that's, that's, that's just... That's bullshit. Most people period. just do the advertising on the side. Gotta pay page. eight... Yeah, exactly. Gotta pay eight dollars a month... Or thirteen, or or four dollars and fifty cents a week. You know what it is, Mike? It's because you live in liberal Washington State, and they don't. Well, New York Times is liberal. I don't know. Anyway, let's get back to. No, it's nothing to do with that. At I all. know. I was just making a bad joke that isn't funny. Like ninety percent of my jokes. Um. So I guess I'll just <laughs> read this real quick, and then you can just comment. You know, whenever you want to jump right. in. The Defense Department has never before acknowledged the existence of the program, which it says it shut down in 2012. But its backers say that while the Pentagon ended funding for the effort at the time, the program remains in existence. For the past five years, they say, officials with the program have continued to investigate episodes brought to them by service members while also carrying out their other Defensive Department duties. The shadowy program, parts of it remain classified, began in 2007. And initially, it was largely funded at the request of Harry Reid, the Nevada Democrat, who was the Senate Majority Leader at the time and who, was lo who has long had an interest in space phenomena. Okay, Harry. High five, man. Most of the money went to an aerospace research company run by a billionaire entrepreneur and longtime friend of Mr. Reid's, Robert Bigelow, who is currently working with NASA to produce expandable craft for humans to use in space. See, this is the kind of shit that rich... Uh, privileged people do that I don't mind. That doesn't bother me. Like, <laughs> use your money to do shit like this and figure this shit out. Like, fine. But when I hear about people like, you know, buying like they these like oil tycoons will buy like a fucking taxidermied bald eagle for their office, it's like, yeah, go fuck yourself, you rich cunt. <laughs> On CBS's 60 Minutes in May, Mr. Bigelow said he was, quote, absolutely convinced, end quote, that aliens exist and that UFOs have visited Earth. And dude, this is in the New York Times. This was like a, a trending article in the New York Times. This is not on some crazy, wacky, like... Uh, this isn't on Alex Jones. This isn't uh, Coast to Coast AM here. This is like mainstream media right here. Working with Mr. Bigelow's Las Vegas-based company, the program produced documents that describe sightings of aircraft that seemed to move at very high velocities with no visible signs of propulsion or that hovered with no apparent means of lift. Officials with the program have also studied videos of encounters between unknown objects in, a mil in American military aircraft, including one released in August of a whitish oval object about the size of a commercial plane chased by two Navy F-A-18F fighter jets from the aircraft carrier Nimitz off the coast of San Diego in 2004. Mr. Reed, who retired from Congress this year, 
said he was proud of the program. Quote, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed or sorry. I got this thing going. Mr. Reed said in a recent interview in uh, Nevada, I think it's one of the good things I did in my congressional service. I've done something that no one has done before. Well, that's arguable, but I do agree that it's good. Two other former senators and top members of a defense spending subcommittee, Ted Stevens, an Alaska Republican, and Daniel K., whatever the fuck his last name is, a Hawaiian Democrat, also supported the program. Mr. Stevens died in 2010 and Mr. whatever his name is in 2012. While not addressing... <laughs> it's uh, There's always got to be a fucked up thing on these articles that we read. It can never be like a... Where, why can't we start reading like Where is Waldo or not or like Curious George like type stories that are like meant for a third grade w- reading level then me and mike would be owning that shit maybe maybe <laughs> we need to take our reading levels down a few notches and uh maybe not i i i think i think i'm good where it is i could even raise it a little bit higher I've, i haven't read i need to read more while not addressing the merits of the program, Sarah Seeger, an astrophysicist at NMIT, cautioned that not knowing the origin of an object does not mean that it is from another planet or galaxy. Quote, when people claim to observe truly unusual phenomena, sometimes it's worth investigating seriously, she said. But then she added, what people sometimes don't get about science is that we often have phenomena that remained un- unexplained. Fine. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying it's UFOs, but I'm just saying that there's something unexplained going on. Unexplained mysteries. James E. Oberg, a former NASA space shuttle engineer and the author of 10 books on space flight, who often debunks UFO sightings, was also doubtful. Uh, oh, are you? Are you there, Mr. James? Are you doubtful? Uh, do you do you feel doubt? Well, I got something for you, and it goes a little bit like this. <laughs> yeah, you fucking skeptic. He's quoted here as saying there are plenty of prosiac events and human perceptual traits that can account for these stories. Lots of people are active in the air and don't want others to know about it. They are happy to lurk unrecognized in the noise or even stir it up as camouflage. Still, Mr. Oberg said he welcomed research. There could well be a pearl there, he said. In response to questions from the Times, Pentagon officials this month acknowledged the existence of the program, which began as part of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Officials insisted that the effort had ended after five years in 2012. Quote, it was determined that there were other higher priority issues that merited funding, and it was in the best interest of the Department of Defense to make a change. A Pentagon spokesman, Thomas Croson, said in an email referring to the DOD. But Mr. Alizondo said the only thing that had ended was the effort's government funding, which dried up in 2012. From then on, Mr. Elizondo said in an interview he worked with officials from the Navy and the CIA. He continued to work out his Pentagon office until the past October when he resigned to protest what he characterized as excessive secrecy and internal opposition. Quote, why aren't we spending more time and effort on this issue? Mr. Elizondo wrote in a resignation letter to Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. Mr. Elizondo said that uh, the effort continued and he had a successor whom he declined to name. UFOs have been repeatedly investigated over the years in the U.S., including uh, by the American military. In 1947, the Air Force began a series of studies that investigated more than 12,000 claimed UFO sightings before it was officially ended in 1969. The project, which included a study codenamed Project Blue Book, started in 1952, concluded that most sightings involved stars, clouds, conventional aircraft, or spy planes, although 701 remained unexplained. 
Robert C. Siemens Jr. <laughs> you said Siemens. The Secretary of the Air Force at the time said in a memorandum announcing the end of the Project Blue Book that, quote, no longer can be justified either on the ground of national security or in the interest of science, talking about continuing the project. Uh, Harry Reid said his interest in the UFOs came from Mr. Bigelow. In 2007, Mr. Reid said in the interview, Mr. Bigelow told him that an official with a defense intelligence agency had approached him wanting to visit Mr. Bigelow's ranch in Utah, where he continued research. Mr. Reed said he met with his agency officials shortly after his meeting with Mr. Bigelow and learned that they wanted to start a research project on UFOs. Mr. Reed then summoned Mr. Stevens and Mr. whatever his name is to a secure room in the Capitol. Quote, I had talked to John Glenn a number of years before, Mr. Reed said, referring to the astronaut and former senator from Ohio who died in 2016. Mr. Glenn, Mr. Reed said, had told him that he thought the federal government should be looking seriously into UFOs and should be talking to military service members, particularly pilots, who had reported seeing aircrafts they could not identify or explain. So, basically this article seems to go on to say that there's funding, essentially secret funding, looking into UFOs and that they're still continuing to do it and this Mr. Alizondo guy is not naming who is still um heading this thing up in Washington um you know it's kind of it, it, this was kind of a hot story for a while and a lot of news organization picked up on it and talked about it and i kind of like my reaction i posted in our facebook group is that of yeah, no duh. You know, I I, <laughs> I know that. Th I mean, all you have to do is have even the most working uh, interest in UFOs, and you know that not only are these things going on, but there have been people looking into it, and there have been people making these claims for a very long time. Um, it, it's the big thing has always tried to be, be let's get the government on our side, let's get them on. Uh, you know, in our corner of the ring, mm -hmm. so they legitimize our investigations. Well, I mean, they did it in the past. I mean, they did Project Blue Book <clears throat> and things like that, so it's not totally unheard of. It, it's The government has been involved in investigating UFOs in the past. Right, but... So, with this recent... Uh, bit of information it isn't isn't surprising to me but what's surprising is that it actually is reaching the mainstream true that's what's the most surprising thing uh did you hear about the spacex rocket launch you see footage of that that's some pretty crazy shit uh no i have not heard of that and uh there of course there's already people being like oh could be ufo could already be a cover-up type thing some people are even, you know, saying things like chemtrails and all that other, you know, stuff, reptilians and and conspiracy theories and Jesse Ventura thoughts and so on. <laughs> Jesse Ventura, that guy's. <laughs> Do you remember that show? Uh, I don't remember conspiracy theory. I I don't, <laughs> but I know Jesse Ventura is a very kind of like controversial uh, character. Yeah, he had a show on True TV called Conspiracy Theory, or Conspiracy Theories. It's pretty trippy. 
Well, the show was definitely trying to be like, this is some scary shit, oh, you know, yeah. but it was like trying so hard to do it sometimes that it was just laughable. Yeah, yeah, I I remember seeing this YouTube video. There's been a lot of parodies of that kind of stuff, and uh, I saw this YouTube video one time, and this guy was talking about the face on Mars, and he was like dead serious the whole video, and then he go, you know, he's like, the new now this just came out, folks. This is uh, this is you know new information, you know, fresh off the press, whatever. We're now gonna show you. Then they turn the depiction of Mars around. This is the ass on Mars, and it was like a little butt. Like like ass crap they <laughs> drew on there. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. Uh, um. So yeah, that's that's that article. I just wanted to bring well, it up. Some mysteries did a face on Mars segment. Yeah, which was, which is <laughs> laughable now, and it's only laughable because it got debunked as soon as higher definition cameras were able to go back to that location. And and it's funny to see back in the day. All the uh, people who were like all about that being a face. Yeah, and, exactly. And how Robert Stack was like, and now we've discovered a new addition, teeth. And they were saying that there's teeth in the <laughs> yeah. mouth. And it's like, come on, give me a fucking break. And That's one I could see why that was not on the Amazon episodes. Because it, it's just it was on not the, a good look it, for the yeah, show. It was on the box set, though, the Ultimate Collection. Wow, yeah. that's surprising. Yeah, under... Um, I want to say under U the UFO category. The UFOs, yeah, it was the UFOs. Yeah, one. and it's yeah, funny because they have they they have the skeptics on there, and and you know, in hi hindsight being twenty twenty, you're looking at those skeptics going, "Damn, these guys got it." You know, these guys are on top of shit. You know, they're they're like, "Yeah, you know, people see cloud, people see patterns in a lot of things." There's another famous picture on Mars. We call it Kermit the Frog, and they show it. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, and it looks like Kermit the Frog, <laughs> and it's like you know, in that case, the skeptics were like right on the money, but. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just funny looking at these like people who just want to believe so bad, you know. They're like, and and you know, th yeah, those that one is pretty uh, dated, and but it's also kind of funny to watch because of that. But another one is uh, anyone, any of the segments that have to deal with like predicting the future, like those are those. Oh are pretty... yeah, about how there was going to be like the Bible code. We should do an episode yeah. on obsolete unsolved mystery segments, <laughs> face on Mars, yeah. Bible code, because yeah, there's. The guy was saying, there are two dates that come up in the Bible, 2006 uh, <laughs> in like 1998 or something like that. In yeah. like 96 or, or 2006 was supposed to be like the end of the world, according to this uh -huh. guy's Bible code. And absolutely nothing uh, spectacular <laughs> happened in 2006 whatsoever. Now, if he had said 2001, that would have been a different story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the Bible code, though, that's a whole other thing. Like they said, it predicted everything, 9-11 and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, because it's literally a crossword puzzle. Like, it's just a bunch of words that you can find whatever you want in it. Because the Bible has how many pages and how many words right. in it? Like, it's silly. It's amazing that people bought into that. But then people bought into the 2012 thing and... You know, Harold Camping and his whole, like, rapture thing. Yeah, so the, anytime anybody preaches about the rapture, I just roll my fucking eyes now. Because I remember back when I went to private school, we had to go to chapel every Thursday. And, like, literally, it's almost as if the preachers were like, it's going to happen now. It's going to happen now. <laughs> now. Now. What's ironic about that is there's a passage in the Bible that says each time you do that, it doesn't happen. Like, it just it keeps, like... 
So this has happened so many times now that like the rapture, if it was ever going to happen, has been pushed back like thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, it's like I remember after 9-11, I was in seventh grade and I had to go to chapel and oh my God, preachers had such an erection for preaching about the rapture during that time. They were like all about, oh, it's happening now, folks. Let me tell you, they were licking their chops, boy. They were so, they, some big thing hadn't happened in a while and they were like, just chomping at the bit to give us these these fire and brimstone scary ass rapture uh uh s sermons or whatever and uh, uh -huh. yeah like i almost like i i, I had a, a bit about this a long time ago that i used to do on stage that i'll 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 save for another time because i'm literally dying of starvation right now um <laughs> So, Mike, do you have any, as we're closing here, do you have any uh, New Year's, uh, are you one of those New Year's re resolutions people? Not really. I'm, I'm just my. Uh, I'm just like, hey, uh, I don't really have any resolutions, really, because like, it's one of those things that's like, uh, just not much really changes. Right. I guess, I guess, uh, keep doing well in school, I get, but I mean, I see no reason why I can't do that. Um, maybe lose some weight. Uh, starting to get a little bit of uh, uh, pod going here, and uh, you and me both. I've been eating like a. But I'm a I'm I'm a little bit lazy. i so I'm like, uh, this food's delicious, and I don't really want to go running or anything. So, I don't know. We'll see about that. Maybe when the weather gets nicer, I'll you know go and do more you know whatever exercise. But it's fucking cold as balls outside. I don't want to be going out in that. Yeah, right now it's um. Over here, it is... But actually, it's not cold today. It was like 50 degrees, over 50 degrees, and that's pretty abnormal for uh, the winter. It's 44 degrees right now, according to uh, my weather app. Um, so that's about normal for Jacksonville. It'll get down to, like, the upper 30s. That's, a, that's about as cold as it gets here. But yeah, I feel you. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any New Year's resolutions either. It's just another day. We we're following the uh, Gregorian calendar. You know, human beings love to like make order out of nothing. Like order out of chaos. There's yeah. no. There's no order. There, these whole like January, February. These are all made up things by humans. We made this shit up. <laughs> Your life is one continuous day. Essentially, you were born at the beginning of the day, and at the end of the day, you'll die. And all this other shit in between, people made up. It has no bearing on your life. <laughs> it has no bearing on what you do or what you accomplish. It's all made up by people. So if you fall into all that resolution, new year, new me, this, all this other kind of crap, you're a, a you're a dumbass to a certain extent. I mean, I know I'm insulting like ninety percent of people. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. I'll just but, say well, this. I, like... I'd say I say you're a dumbass for the simple fact that why wait till January? Why why don't you do this shit in July or November? Yeah. Or you know why wait? Make it make it a whole year. Make it your whole life resolution. Yeah. How about like, that? My whole thing right now is like I'm chugging along with the podcast which is doing good and i want to do more stuff with that um in my youtube channel same thing i want to i want to hit a thousand subscribers uh which i'm i just hit over twelve thousand. I, I hit twelve thousand on christmas i'm, so. I'm literally four that's pretty I'm four cool people away from hitting a thousand so by the time next po cool my next podcast i will have hit a thousand you could do with a thousand subscriber q a or whatever and get like five people asking you questions yeah i know <laughs> right 
<laughs> that's why I don't want to do a Q&A. I'm going to do like a, a I'm going to do a, a like a sketch, like comedy sketch video. I'm, yeah. I'm going to get everybody from my previous videos on there. But anyway, my point is I don't have New Year's resolutions because I've been grinding my ass off on this shit all year and I yeah. will continue to grind. The only thing I ask for is more time to be alive and more time to do the things I want to do. But that, yeah. that has nothing to do with any Gregorian calendar. That's, exactly. That's just, you know. I mean, I, I'm pretty much the same. I'm in the same boat. Uh, I want to keep grinding out things when it comes to this podcast, when it comes to my YouTube channel. Uh, I ordered a movie pass. I know I've heard a lot of bad things about them, but I've also heard good things. What is that? It's a uh, you you pay uh, ten bucks a month. Uh, they send you a debit card, pretty much, and they load a certain amount of money on it each day that you can use to buy a movie ticket. Oh, with. okay. So, for me, as a movie you know uh, movie critic on YouTube, this would open up a lot of things that I could go watch more movies and review more newer films because that seems to be how YouTube and their algorithm is. It's like and what a lot of people want to watch. Is reviews of newer films like the weekend that they come out, and I would be able to do that more with this movie pass. I'm waiting for mine in the mail. I've heard stories of people not getting there three months later or things not working. I don't know. I think it's worth a shot. I can cancel it anyway if it doesn't work out. Um because you can watch you can you can use it to see a movie a day. Like can't do 3D or IMAX, that's fine. Uh, there's a theater near me within walking distance that doesn't have IMAX anyway, but it's like a really nice theater that's pretty much IMAX. So, and 3D, honestly, 3D, there, there rarely is any films lately that really are worth the 3D. I really... So, the only one I like, can think of is Ghost in the Shell that I saw this year. Like, that was just absolutely stunning. But that's really about I it. I so badly wish they would stop trying to push fucking 3D onto everybody and like um, v virtual reality, like in the video game world. I, God, will you please cut it out? Nobody gives a shit. I don't know. VR is pretty popular. I, I, I think it might be a, a step forward. And from what I've seen from gameplay and stuff, it actually looks pretty fun. Really? Because what I've been hearing is that it's it's all hype and that it makes most people nauseous. And, okay. and the PS... The well, I, I've just been watching footage of it. Like, I haven't actually done anything. Like, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, it could easily make somebody nauseous. But... That's probably what would happen anyway. I mean, it's it's a it's a big step forward from Virtual Boy, which wasn't even really VR, or the other attempts at VR that you saw in the nineties. Oh, like the best Boy. you could do is some like awful. I bought a Virtual Boy for my brother like la like last <laughs> Christmas or the Christmas before, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's 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 you literally buy it for the novelty factor. You buy it so you yeah. so you can get the experience. And say, oh yeah, I I've I've tried a Virtual Boy before. If, if those who don't know, Virtual Boy was Nintendo's failed console in the mid '90s. That uh, I tried to market it as VR, but it really isn't even yeah, VR. Yeah, it was, it was crude 3D, if that, and it uh, it gave you headaches because everything was monochrome, red and black. Those are the only two colors, and it yeah, it it, it hurt your eyeballs. It gave you. Me and Mike could start a movie and uh, movie music and video game podcast if you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> Easily, I think. 
Um, yeah. But all right, yeah, like I said, I'm dying of starvation now. So um, I hope everybody does have a good New Year celebration because I have nothing wrong. So do I. I have nothing wrong with, I have no problems with celebrating New Year's. I just think the resolutions are stupid. Uh, I'm going to be DJing a somewhere. New Year, same me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New Year, same grinding, same dedication, same desire and in, in, of wanting to reach my goals. So as for me and Mike... We bid you adieu. Good night. See ya. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Josh still here. Thought I'd sing you guys a little song for the New Year's. I'm a little rusty, so don't judge me too hard. It goes a little something like this. Should old acquaintance be forgotten, never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgotten, days of old lang syne? Buy my album, support the podcast, money don't grow on trees. Cash, PayPal, or checks accepted. Fuck you, John and Terry. Swango has no swag. That works. Just gives me something (laughs) to use to sync up with. Yeah. That's how I have to warm up a gospel, uh, like a like a black lady gospel singer, or just nineties R and B. Yeah, thank God they kind of cut that shit out because I I just can't I can't deal with the <laughs> where they have to like hit every note in the fucking scale when they go down like or Mariah Carey. Uh, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add anything to the music. It's literally like, it's literally like, look at me, everybody. I can sing well. It's it, just, it's just, it's just showing off. You're That's right. really what it is. It, like there, there's a and t- the new show off is Ariana Grande. Yeah, which her to me, her only big deal is the fact that she's got a really high range. She's not so much a good singer, but she's just got a really high register well also she was also on disney channel and on nickelodeon I heard so that. she already what had was, I, a established i didn't know what young I fan base i had no idea that she, like dude i'm like aging the fuck out which i mean i guess it's a good thing uh you know i don't know that she's from the <laughs> disney channel because that would i'm sure the cops would be like sh- sticking a van down my road if i was like yeah <laughs> i knew she was on the disney channel her and selena gomez huh <laughs> I only just recently learned that Selena Gomez was on Witches of Waverly Place. Wizards of Waverly Place. Okay. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that she. Yeah. I, so, so I was like, when I see out of all the all of the Disney Channel shows that I remember, like that that was like a better one of the better ones for sure. Like Hannah Montana is just garbage. A lot of these other ones are just shit. No, I'm doing the math. Uh, I'm doing the math right now, Mike. And you and I are relatively the same age, and I stopped watching Disney Channel way after or way before Wizards of Wager, Witches of Wager. God. <laughs> Wizards of Wager. I wasn't. I was just watching it because it's it's it, sometimes it can be fun. You know, just fun, you know, stuff to just put on the TV or whatever. And you're not paying attention, you know, just time waster type stuff. I don't know. I've been watching Nostalgia Critics Disney Summer. Um, on his channel yeah. where he talks about Disney movies every December. Uh-huh. And, um, 
he was talking about high school musical or whatever and yeah. like, i'd never really seen a high school musical that shit I, I saw parts of it but i i wasn't even into that i was like nah no Dude, that shit is so nope. cringe like i can't i can't like barely watch it without getting like goosebumps i my, that's my, why i don't i don't i didn't mind that wizards of waverly place because it was just i i watched it because i thought it was actually a fun show and had some legitimately good storytelling and the characters were likable and stuff like that i mean compared to uh, a lot of other sitcoms that were on. Uh, I just thought that was more creative and fun, and there was stuff that you that adults can enjoy too. It's it's just a well written show with good characters. Yeah, I just the whole time I was watching High School Musical, my mind just goes to such dark places. Like even when I was a kid, it would go to dark places. I'm like, there needs to be, someone needs to slip and fall down the stairs and get hurt, or <laughs> there needs to be more darkness in this show. This is too happy and bubbly for me. I guess I'm a goth kid <laughs> deep down inside. Apparently, dude, I'm on Unsolved.com, and this ad happened to be right over the ghost image. <laughs> I sent it to you on Skype. Okay. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Trump, that's such a beautiful flowing gown you have. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's man. a Donald Trump's head on a ghost frame cuz I plan on using this as B-roll shit, so whatever. <laughs> All right, uh so uh but both of these are really good cases, honestly. So it's kind of hard to say which one should go. Yeah, I know the Swango case is the case has swag. He doesn't have any swag, but um, I don't care which one we do first. You want to do? I guess William Fisher first. Sure, if you want. All right, we'll do that. We'll do Swango, and then we'll do the uh, the New York Times article about the UFOs, as you would call them in Germany, UFO. All right, what is this? Episode number 76? Wasn't there something called MUFO? MOFO? <laughs> no, like MUFO is in like some kind of UFO thing called MUFO. Oh, I'm sure. All right, here we go.